thanks for joining us at The Cornerstone. We're the Young Adults Ministry at Praise Chapel Paramount. We meet every Friday night and host a young adult service. Our goal is simple, to know God and to make Him known. So I have a, I have a word that, man, so I realize that, now, now some of you guys be like, okay, Mike, let it go, right? Stop talking about it, whatever, who cares? But listen, it's important to me, so, and I'm leaving so I can say whatever I want. Um, I realize that this is like my second to last sermon here at the Cornerstone. Like, this is it. So I was actually going to ask my brother to preach tonight, um, and I realized, man, I'm leaving. Like, I, I want to, I want to, I want to say something. So um, tonight, I, I really do, this word has been, it's, since the conference, man, that conference, I'm telling you, was, was life-changing. And it's crazy when you have a life-changing moment without tears. Like, that's how you know it's really life-changing, because it's not emotion, it's not, you know, uh, routine, it's just, you know that God spoke to you, and he changed the direction of your, of your perspective, the direction of your life. And so that conference was just amazing. And every speaker that came was, 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 was really, really good. So this message, is, it's kind of coming out of, the, out of the place that I found myself in at the Amplify Conference so that I'm, I'm hoping it blesses you tonight. So let's pray. Father, we thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. God, you're so good to us. Lord, I pray that every heart in this place, God, would, would expect that you do great things, God, and you can do greater. Father, I pray that you'd minister your word through me, Jesus, that it would not be about me, it wouldn't be about my opinions, God, or my suggestions, but Lord, let us be convicted and led by your Holy Spirit. Tonight, we give you the floor. God, we give you the time. We give it all to you, and we, we thank you, God, that you respond. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, I have a question for you tonight, and it's a very simple question. You might already have an answer. You might not. But my question to you would, would be, what do you desire? What is in your life that you're like, man, I, or not, not yet in your life, and you kind of look for, look, look towards this and say, man, I really want, I desire that. I want that one thing. Now, some of us would get spiritual and say, I just want a touch of God, right? Like, we all know, yes, we all want a touch of God. That's great. I believe you, but I'm talking more, a little bit more practical, right? Um, some people would say, man, I really like a, a, a better body. Anybody? No, it's just me? I actually, I'm fine. I don't care. Um, my wife is stuck with me, so I'm good. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but some of us would say, I really, I really like a better body. I'd like a better job. I'd like, I'd like a better career. I like better friends. I'm just kidding. Nobody here says that. <laughs> you guys are like, yeah. Um, but the funny thing about desire, or, or there's, a, there's a very large difference between a desire and a want. A desire is something that you would do anything for. A desire is something that you would lay down anything possible to reach that one thing. No, this not the, that's not the time, Ness. You walked in when I said that, but that's not the time. But you're good. I'll actually call you up. Um, I gave her a cue, but I'm actually changing my mind. So desire is, is doing anything, having that one thing. Just That is all that matters to me. There's nothing else that comes in the way of that. That is my desire. I desire that. It's a passionate just anything, nothing comes close. That is my desire. You guys get what I'm saying? And then there's a want. A want is like, I want a charging phone case. Like that is a want, right? It's not, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. Right? Do you guys see the difference? So it's funny because we have these wants and these desires in life. And the truth is this, asking the right questions will make you feel and make you, make you seem like you're pursuing the right things. 
Now let me explain myself. I'm not a gym person, as you could probably tell. I'm not very into the gym. I've probably been to the gym like 0.00001% of my entire life, maybe less. Um, I'm not a gym guy. I don't, I don't like lifting weights. I don't like doing push-ups. I mean, who likes doing push-ups? I don't like any of that stuff. But if I go to the gym and I meet with one of their, um, their body counselors, that's <laughs> their trainers, uh, and I sit down with one of them and I start asking the questions of like, hey, you know, how, what kind of diet should I go on? Well, you know, sir, you can eat, eat, wake up in the morning, put peanut butter in a, in a blender and have a shake. Or I don't know how they make them. Um, right? I ask, okay, well, what, what can I do to, to gain muscle? What can I do? Right? So if I ask the right questions, it seems like I want to do something good. Right? It, the question is, is a good question. But the truth is this, is I can go to a gym and I can ask all of the questions in the world. I can receive all of the information. I can receive all of their plans. I can even sign up for the gym. I can sign up for 10 classes. But if I do not apply their answers, I see no results. I will never see a result if I don't go to the gym. And even if I go to the gym, if I don't work out, I will never see results. Even if I work out once, because I've done it, I didn't see results. So that's why I never went back. You guys are breaking. I could feel it tonight. So, so, you know, just asking the right questions doesn't matter if you're not willing to apply the answers. Some of us will say, well, I want a good marriage now or in the future. All right? I want my marriage to be better. And we can seek, seek counsel. We can talk to all the right pastors, all the right people. And, and we can ask all the right questions. How should I treat my wife? How should I treat my husband? How should I prepare to be a good wife? You know what I mean? No? None of you guys ask that question? Some of you guys should. Right? How do I prepare? What do I need to do? We could ask all these questions. But if we never apply the answer, our marriage will always look the same. And odds are we'll never be prepared to be married. If we never apply the answers to the questions that we're asking. The, the funny thing is this, is, is, is that we, we often say, how do I get closer to God? How many times have you heard that question or even asked that question? How do I connect with God? We see someone like Diga, right? We look at him and we all look up to him and, I, and we, we do honor what he does and the, the kind of man that he is. We know he has a really deep relationship with the Lord. So we'd say, Diga... What do you do to connect with God? What books do you read? What TV shows do you watch? How often do you pray? How often do you, what can I do to connect with God? And the truth is, is if you ask a, a lot of pastors those questions, a lot of pastors will think that you're a disciple. A lot of pastors will think that you're on the right track. A lot of Christians, if you ask them those questions, they'll think, oh man, he wants it. He wants to pursue God. But the truth is this, is that we can hear all the sermons in the world. We can ask all the right questions. We can get all of the right counsel. We can, we can get all of the right tips and how-tos and, and guidance and, and all of those things. But if we do not apply what we hear or what we learn, we'll never see results. You can say till you're blue in the, in the face, God, I want to get close to you. God, I want to follow you. How do I do this, God? But until you're willing to hear his answers and not just hear them, but apply them, until then, you'll, you will not see results in your life. At some point in life, asking is not good enough. Asking is not good enough. I remember when me and my wife were newly married, and I feel like we're still newly married. Um, 
It's been five years. It went by super fast. There's a lot of reasons for that. Mostly kids. And um, I remember we'd have these arguments. This was way back. We'd never fight anymore, ever. This is back in the day. We'd, we'd have these arguments. And I'd say, babe, what do you want me to do? Right? Some of you boyfriends know. You know. You know that question. Some of you husbands, you're with me. What do you want me to do? What can I change? She'd give me a list. Until I started applying that, nothing changed. At some point, asking is no longer good enough, but action must take place. Luke chapter 18, verse 18 through 27, if you have your Bibles. I really hope that this speaks to you tonight. I know that it will if you allow it to. It says, a ruler questioned him, saying, good teacher. Now, this is Jesus. He's walking with his disciples. And, uh, and we know him as the rich young ruler. Man has a lot of money. He comes to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That sounds like a good question. It sounds like this ruler wants to follow Jesus. It sounds like he has his priorities in order. It sounds like he's ready for change in his life. It sounds like he's, he's looking for more. He's seeking answers. And so he asks the right question to the right guy. Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you possess and distribute, distribute it to the poor and you shall have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, The things that are impossible with people are possible with God. We must be willing to act out what is necessary in order to receive that which we desire. See, all of us would say, I want to follow Jesus. I, I want to be a disciple. I want a better connection with God. But I have some bad news for you that just wanting it will not get it for you. What a world we live in today that a whole generation will think because we want it, we'll get it. It's not about want, but it's about acting Acting out your faith. First Peter 1.13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There must be action behind your confession. Confession alone is not, just, is not good enough. True faith, with, without, there, there is no true faith without works. Yes, I understand we're saved by, by grace through faith. I understand those, those, those concepts of the word of God. But it also talks about that, that there's faith. It says in James 2.26, for, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. You can't just want something. You can't just say you want something. You can't, you can't just say you're pursuing something. If you're not acting on it, it is dead. How often do we miss God? How often do we miss what he wants to do in our lives because we're unwilling to get past want and into desire? Because we all want God. 
But not all of us desire God. We all would like to see God move. We all would like an experience with God. It, it would be nice to, if, if he can touch us or speak to us, that would be great. Yeah, we want it, but do you desire it? Is it something in your spirit that is like, man, I don't want anything else but God. I, that, this is it. This is what I'm living for. How often do we miss God? Because we aren't willing to get past the want and into desire. We don't seek God because we truly don't desire God. If I sat with each one of you and I interviewed you, not that I would, maybe I'll do it. I don't know. No, I wouldn't. I sat with every one of you and I said, hey, did you pray today? Did you seek God today? Did you, did you pray yesterday? Did you spend some time with the Lord yesterday? What about last week? What about last month? How, how often do you spend time with God? How often do you, do you really seek Him? Not, not just a, a, a quick prayer for your food, or not just a quick, Lord, uh, Lord, help me through this day. Lord, help me not to sin. How often do you really spend time with God? The truth is we don't because we really don't desire him. We love the idea of God. We like the idea of being a good Christian. We like the idea of, of being a good churchgoer or being involved in ministry or being involved in the church or, or being a nice person. We love the idea of that, but do you really desire God himself or do you just like the idea of who he would make you? What do you desire? I, I don't know, I don't know what, what it is that you desire. Maybe, maybe you just want to come to church because you grew up in church. Maybe honestly you haven't left because you're afraid to leave. And not because of God, but because you don't know who you'd be without church. Not who you'd be without God. You don't know who you'd be without church. We don't, we, don't, we don't seek God because honestly, if we're really honest with ourselves, and listen, all of us have to come to a place like this rich young ruler where Jesus will say, listen, you got to surrender that one thing that you hold on to. But a lot of us, will, we say we want it, but we really don't. You know how, listen, and this, this, will, this will make you, maybe make some of you feel uncomfortable with what I'm going to say. I don't care. I'm leaving in about a month. It does not matter. Some of you will say, I desire God, but will not show up to prayer. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. I love that Caleb uh, Grant, he said it in our, in our leadership meeting. And I was like, oh, God help me. We'll say we desire God. We'll say, yeah, I want God to move in my city. I want God to move in my church. But you won't get behind the very thing that moves the hand of God, which is prayer. You don't desire it. You just want it. This is good. This is good for me too. We have to move from just asking about God to deeply desiring him. This, this guy that went up to Jesus, I feel like, I feel like Jesus just saw, saw right through him. He, he didn't desire God. He didn't desire Jesus. He just wanted to be there. He just wanted some answers. It wasn't a desire. Some of us, we just ask about God. But we don't desire. We inquire about 
Jesus and, and, and discipleship and callings and, and purpose and eternal life. And we, we're, we're like this man. We'll come to the pastor or come to the leader say, hey, how, how do I do this? How do I do that? But, but we don't really desire it. Because a true desire will lead you to action. So my question would be, how do I build desire? You ever ask yourself, like, like, this is me, especially when it comes to the gym, but obviously it's not that important to me. I don't desire it. This is obvious, right? But, but there's often times, or even, even when, I, when, I, when I want to change some things about my life, about how I'm living, right? So, so I'm, not a, I'm not a morning person. I'm not a morning person. No joke, I, I was up till about four in the morning with this message last night. Not because, you know, it was like, man, this is great. It's because that's the time that I work, right? Like, that is me. I'm up really late and I sleep, you know, late too. <laughs> but, but sometimes I'll look up things, right? And, 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 and I, I lost what I was saying. But sometimes I'll look up things like, how do I, how do I change, right? Because how, how, how do I make the difference? How do I want to want to? You ever like, I want to wake up early. I want to want to wake up early, but I don't really want to wake up early, right? I want to want to go to the gym, but at this point, I don't really want to go to the gym, right? I want to want to take my, my wife to, to downtown LA, but at this point, I really don't want to take my wife to downtown LA, but I did take her, so, because I desire her. But, but, but have you ever asked that question, how do I build a desire for God? How do I get to the point where I want God? Because right now I want to want God. Is that anybody? Anybody? Cool. So this is how. I'm going to give you the answer. You want the secret? This is a great secret. Do you want it? This, is, this will change your life. This will absolutely change your life. You want the secret? You want the secret to wanting to want God? Yeah. <laughs> Linda, yes. <laughs> All right. I'm going, to show, I'm going to read you this, this, this uh, paragraph. It says this. <clears throat> Nevertheless, even if it is discovered that desire is honestly absent. So he's saying, even if you find that you really don't desire God. saying this. We should pray anyway. We should pray. The should comes in so that both desire and expression are cultivated. God's word commands it. Our judgment tells us we should pray to pray whether we feel like it or not. And to not allow our feelings to determine our habits of prayer. In such a circumstance, we should pray for the desire to pray. For such a desire is God-given and heaven-born. We should pray for desire. You want to know how you desire God? If you have no desire for him, but you're saying, I want to want to desire, I really want to, to, to seek him, but I just don't really care. If we're honest, listen, I've been there. I'm not, I'm not shaming you saying, oh, you were like this. I've been there to the place where I don't really care, but I wanted to care. You know how you do it? You pray. You pray when you don't feel like it. You pray when it doesn't make sense. You seek God when you don't have time to seek God. You set aside time for him and you seek him and you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray. And then when you have not received or you're praying for it, you continue to pray. Because prayer is what moves the hand of God. 
The Bible says that, it, that, it, that it, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So it's, it doesn't just say a, a lazy prayer. It doesn't say a mediocre prayer. It doesn't say a prayer that is, that is, that is passive. It says a fervent prayer. Fervency is not just yelling. It's not screaming, but it's a deep desire to want something. So I'm going to do what I need to do because I want to desire God. I will stand in my room for hours if I don't feel his presence because I know one day I will. I'll seek God every day even if I don't feel anything because I know that if I ever want to get to a place where I feel him, it's only going to come through prayer. If you never start praying, you'll never have a prayer life. Whoa! Revelation! What? That's crazy, right? No, it's not. <laughs> that's, that's just the way it is. Prayer is the answer from going to just wanting God to desiring God. The problem is we lack prayer. We lack prayer. And only you know. You can tell me you prayed for an hour. And honestly, it doesn't matter to me. You could pray for 10 minutes. That's, a, that's on you. Your prayer life is a reflection of your desire for God. Prayer is connection with God. Think about it. Have you, have you, have you thought about that? Like, it's, a, it's crazy. In prayer, I can connect with God. In prayer, no matter who you are, you, this might be your first time here. This might be your thousandth time at this church. It does not matter because Jesus died so that we would make a way to have true connection with the Father, and that's through prayer. You're not going to find another answer. I'm going to stop you right, right where you're at, thinking, man, there has to be another way. I need breakthrough. I need change. You're not going to find another way. It's not going to come in one moment where God's going to touch you at the altar, and you're going to be like this brand new person for the rest of your life. It might, but I don't think so. Because what God is looking for, especially in this time, uh, this time that we live in, where everything is so fast and easy, God is looking for those who will seek him with purpose and with desire. And you get desire through prayer. Prayer is true connection with God. But let me tell you something. True connection comes with complete surrenderance. You will never really connect with God until you fully surrender to God. I thought that was good. So, so, so to sum this idea up, the reason we're not, the reason we miss God is because we're, like, we're just like this ruler who refused to surrender the one thing. But this is crazy about, about that one thing. Is the one thing that, that God is asking you to surrender is not always obvious. It's not always obvious. See, in those days, this man was wealthy. In those days, they... they they, they, they kind of correlated wealth and godliness. So if a man was wealthy, that must mean that he's godly. That's how they looked at it. They looked at it as if, as if, if you had money, you had God. So it, it didn't make sense for Jesus to say, listen, if you want me, which is God, if you want God, you have to surrender your money. Because what he's essentially saying is that if you want God, you have to surrender what looks like you already have him. That's what Jesus is saying. So sometimes the things that we think are right in our lives are actually the very thing that hinders us from God. 
The things that we say, well, this makes me look like a Christian. I look like I'm living right. Now, let me, let me give you an example of what that would be. One of those things would be secret sin. Because you'll say, I can't say what I'm doing because I look good. I can't confess because I look saved. I look like a Christian. We can't ever be honest with ourselves about our lack of prayer or lack of intimacy with God. Because as soon as that comes out of our mouth, we no longer look good. So what Jesus is telling this man is he's saying, listen, it doesn't matter how you look on the outside because God sees who you are on the inside. So you can look good, you can look all right, but God sees who you really are. You can hide from me, you can hide from John, you can hide from Diga, you can even hide from Omar. But you can't hide from God. I'm going to need another water, by the way. Psalms 139 says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. He's basically saying, God, show me what's wrong with me. Show me things in my life that I need to get right with you. Show me if there's anything that would hurt me or that would harm me or that le would lead me down the wrong path. God, show me and then lead me to the, in the right direction. How often do we pray that? So often we're trying to hold everything that, that we don't want God to tell us what we need to let go. Because we like what we have. And the very thing that we say, well, I'm doing this for God. It's actually that one thing that is hindering you from really experiencing God. Like friends, well, I'm trying to win them to God. I'm trying to be a light to them. I'm trying to show them the truth. But you know that you know that inside your heart, God has been asking you to surrender that one thing. But because it makes you feel right, you refuse to surrender. Relationships, I know that I feel like God has called me to be with this person. I know that it's right. But you also know deep in your heart that God is asking you to surrender that one thing. That one thing, the reason you go to church, God is asking for some of you to, to stop coming for the reasons you come. Some of you guys are just coming because you feel like you have to. What a boring place to be. Seriously, if I didn't experience God at church and God wasn't here, it would be boring. Church without God is nothing. It's a waste of time. You showing up to church and not experiencing God, you're wasting your time. Now, keep coming because one day you might feel him. But what I'm saying is your, your motivation for going to church, do you come because you don't want people to ask you how you're really doing? Do you come because you want people to think that you're doing all right? Why do you come to church? Or do you come because you, I just want to experience God and I want to help others? So maybe God's asking you to surrender those reasons. Maybe God's asking you, some of you, to surrender your job. To surrender your goals. I think it's hilarious that we try so hard to box God into our vision. Well, I want to, I'm going to go and I'm going to be, uh, I hope there's no architects here. I'm going to be an architect. Why? Well, ever since I was a kid, you know, I've always wanted to be an architect. I just love it. I love the lines. 
Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I feel like God is calling me to be an architect so I could build churches. So I could build an orphanage. <laughs> I don't know who that is. It's like a, every college student, I guess. So yeah, man, I could just like, you know. <laughs> I've never been to college, so I don't even know. Actually, I signed up for classes and I never went. <laughs> I even think I paid for them. But we try to box God into our plans. Some of us, God's asking you, and he's been asking you, and he'll keep asking you to stop going to school. Blasphemy. How dare you? Some of you, God will ask you to stop being lazy and go to school. That's an hour balance. Now we're good. But, but, but we, we, we hold on to what we think is right. And it's what we think is right may be the very reason that you're hindered from God. Judging others. We're like, well, I, somebody's got to say something. Somebody's got to tell him something. Yeah, and you're the guy, right? Yeah, you're, yes, you go for it. I'll say this. Let me give you a little tip. Never correct somebody you don't love. Never correct somebody you don't love. That was not in my notes. But, but, we, but we have this idea. I feel like God has called me to call out sin and to make sure that they know what they're doing is wrong. God isn't, isn't calling you to do that. But maybe God is asking you to stop. So, so let me ask you this. Do you desire God? Are you willing to release the one thing? Whatever it is. The one thing, see, this is, a, this is the thing that sucks about the one thing. Is that you can do everything else right, but God wants the one thing. You see, with this ruler, Jesus is like, listen, you got to do all these commandments. Like, you, did you follow these? He's like, dude, I did that. I've been doing that since birth, and I haven't done, it hasn't helped me. He's saying, all right, that's cool that you did all that, but there's one thing. There's one thing that hinders you. See, you can do everything right, but if you f refuse to, to release that one thing, you'll never experience the fullness of God. God wants to give you breakthrough. He wants to, all those things where you say, man, I just want to encounter God. I want to know him in a deeper way. God wants to give it all to you. But what's the one thing? What's the one thing? Is it jealousy? Is it bitterness? Is it unforgiveness? Is it hate? Is it pride? Is it laziness? Is it your time? Is it your money? Is it your mind? Is it your goals? Is it your passion? What is the one thing that you refuse to give to God? Is it your family? Is it your relationships? What is that one thing? Because I'll tell you this, you can come to church, you can be a disciple, you can serve, you can, you can be on the worship team, you can be in, in the coffee house, which I, get, I think like everybody's in the coffee house team. You can do anything, but God wants the one thing. You can do everything right, but if there's one thing on the throne of your heart, then God is not involved. What is the one thing? What is the one thing you're holding on to? For me in my life, I've had a lot of one things at the same time. A lot. But my one thing that I've dealt with forever is pride. Pride. 
people, people tell me, man, you're so prideful. I'm like, dude, I know. Pray for me, <laughs> please. Help me. I know. My one thing is time. I've had to learn to surrender my time to God. Not to video games. Not to social media. If you were to tally up how many hours you spend on social media and how many hours you spend with God, who would win that battle? Now listen, social media is funny. Like, ha social media, that's a great. But in reality, it's, it's a problem. If, if, if you can't control it, it controls you. Some of you need to, tonight, need to delete your apps. No, not that one thing. But the truth is that that is your one thing because you find identity in that. You find identity in how people like, comment. It's funny, but it's real. It's, it is funny. Like, it's kind of comical. But it's true. Scientifically proven that it is true that there are feelings that a human being will get in response to those things. So what is the one thing that God wants to give you up or that God wants you to give up? What is that one thing that you're holding on to? See, the truth is this, is that, is that it's, it's very hard to surrender that one thing. It's like, well, how do I get there? How do I start? What do I do? Right? You ever, you, I, I ask those questions all the time. If I could have Vanessa come up. We're, we're ending pretty soon. What time is it? We might be able to make it to Lazy Dog. You guys were not excited. It's all right. You don't have to go. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Is this helping you tonight? I hope this. I I really hope tonight's message brings you a place of brings you to a place of decision. Like, like, don't you want to be the person that when you die? You can honestly say that you've been a faithful servant to God. Like, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought how you're going to respond in front of God? When he says, hey, what did you do with my son? What did you do with my gifts and the talents that I gave you? What did you do with your time? What did you do with your resource? What did you do? Because this man had everything that you can imagine. He, if you look at this, this guy's life from the outside looking in, it's like, man, he's got it all together. He's set. He's godly. He's got money. He, he's, got, he, he's, he, he's, he's good. But there was a reason he went to Jesus. There was a reason that this man said, you know what? What I have, it may seem like a lot, but it's not enough. See, some of us, that one thing, we're holding on to it because we feel like that's all we have. Well, all I have is my career. All I have is my girlfriend. All I have is my boyfriend. All I have is my job. All I have is my identity. This is, this is it. But God is looking for, for somebody, somebody, anybody, who would say this one thing doesn't matter to me anymore. I just want Jesus. I just want God.
cornerstone? What kind of ministry are you going to be known for in 15 years? What kind of people are you going to look like? Are you going to be the people that people will say, man, God skipped that generation? Or are you going to be the ones who say, man, 2017, 50 years from now, they're going to look back and say there was a revival because there was people who were willing to surrender the one thing. Surrendering to God can only come through obedience, through faith. You cannot please God without faith. Faith without works is dead. This is true. So what am I saying here? I'm saying faith will lead you to obedience. Obedience for that man at that moment was to give everything he had. Obedience for you right now is to surrender the one thing to God in your heart. See, I love this story. There's a story in the Bible that Jesus goes up and he brings the disciples to the mountain to pray. And I can't tell you location. I'm sure if you come talk to me, I can give you the scripture. But they go up and Jesus, it says, it's crazy because it says that he begins to change. Like his face transforms and now it looks like he's just a glowing light out of his face. And the disciples are there just probably like, what the heck is going on? Like this is insane. And the Bible says that Moses and Elijah showed up with him. And they're talking. Imagine, imagine seeing that. That's crazy. And they're talking and, and Peter says, Lord, should I set up a shrine to remember this moment? And the voice of God comes down from heaven, completely ignores Peter, and says, this is my son. Listen to him. And I found, I thought this was interesting because, and if you think Vanessa's up here because we're almost done, you're wrong. Nobody really like that, that's right, but it's true. We're not done yet. I found this interesting because if you look back, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all of the, the, you know, the forefathers of the faith, and all those who, who had encounters with God, you'll see that after every encounter, they built a shrine out of rocks. It was like, I'm going to remember this place. And so, for Peter to say that wasn't, wasn't obnoxious. It wasn't, you know, out of left field. It wasn't like, dude, know your place. It, he was saying, man, I want to do what they did. But then God says, listen, all I want you to do is obey. I don't want you to build a shrine. I don't want you to look good. I don't want you to just place up a memory of what God did in the past. You need to listen. You need to obey. See, some of us, we're so quick to build an altar for God, but we're so slow to obey His small voice in our hearts. We're so quick to come and worship and lift our hands and give our money, but we're so slow to respond and surrender. God isn't looking for those who will just sacrifice. God is looking for those who will obey and radically obey. See, the problem with this ruler is he couldn't be obedient through faith. Because Jesus told him, like, listen, if you read the scripture, Jesus says, I have, there's, there's, there's riches in heaven that you can have. The riches you have don't come close to the riches in heaven and they're available to you, but, but you have to let go of what's in your hand already. This man missed because he didn't want to let go of something he could touch before he had proof of something that he didn't see yet. 
We have to be people who will let go before we receive. We have to be people who will take a step before we see the answer. So it will look like this. You quit your job because God told you to, but you don't know where you're going to work next. It'd be like this. You invested into a relationship for your whole life and God says, I need you to surrender that, but you don't know what's next. Obedience through faith is obeying without seeing. Listen, me and Jessica, we have no idea what we're doing. I love that people are like, man, congratulations. I'm like, congratulations. What do you mean? We haven't done anything. I've literally not, to wa- not talked to one person in my city. I have no plans of who's going to be there. I have no clue. But what are we doing? We sold everything. Because we believe that if God tells you to do something, you don't wait to see what he's going to provide. You don't wait to see if there's a house waiting for you. You don't wait to see if there's disciples waiting for you. You walk because he said to walk. You surrender because he said to surrender. In the book of Genesis, Abraham receives this promise from God. God tells him, he's like, listen, I want to, I want to, we're going to, we're going to have a deal here. Abraham, is this open? I'm like dying up here. These, these lights are really hot. I'm sorry. Can you turn them off? I'm always the guy saying, man, I wish the preacher wouldn't say that. But I'm like dying. I'm serious. Dying to my flesh. I'm just kidding. (laughs) That was so lame. Anyway, so. So Abraham and God make this, this covenant. God says, I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm going to give you, basically your descendants are going to be, and shut these off too, please. I'm going to give you descendants. It's going to be like the stars in the sky. You can't count them. You're going to be a powerful nation. You know, you're going to, you're going to be my people and I'm going to be your God. It's this covenant. So he receives this promise from God. But then God requires from, some action from Abraham. Genesis 17, 9. Said, God said further to Abraham, now as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your, your descendants. A servant who is born in your house or who is brought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. So God is, God is basically telling him, I need you to make an action before you receive your promise. I need you to do something before you receive what I told you I'd give you. So this, this is the best. I love this. Just a couple of verses later it says, But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. The covenant was not even going to come through Abraham. It was going to come through Isaac. Abraham wasn't going to see it. Abraham wasn't going to see the greatness that God would, would do through his, through his descendants and the generations that would come after him. He wasn't going to see 
that the Savior of the world would come through that very covenant. But this is what he does. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all the servants who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's household, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the very same day as God had said to him. He made a move before he saw proof. He obeyed before he received the promise. He surrendered before he had all the answers. We have to come to a place where our godly desires are worth more than we have in our hands today. I love you guys. I love what we do here. I love what, what me and my wife were able to help build and what we've, what we've accomplished through the grace of God. And honestly, I love my family. I love all the things that I have in my hands that I can touch, that I can see. But I trust in God so much that I know that His promises are greater than what I hold on to today. I know that if I say yes, there's going to be somebody there. There's going to be somebody who if we had not said yes, they would not know God. To me, to me, it's worth it. I don't want to live a life of just, just saying yes to the things that are easy. And man, if that's you, I feel bad for you. If you're going to be the Christian that just comes, sits in the chairs and leaves, if you're going to be the one who never gets it right, who never gets it from God, who never connects with the Spirit of God Himself, if that's going to be you, I feel bad for you. And the reason I feel bad for you is because you have access. But it's surrendering that one thing. The one thing to God. So we surrender by living as if it's already done. Live out what you believe before you see it. I love that Jesus would challenge this man's faith and say, listen, Okay, you want to follow me? Then lay all your riches down. I got something greater for you. I got some good, so I got some riches stored in the heavenly places for you if you were to surrender. So what is he saying? He's saying, I want to see if you really believe what I tell you. Because if the rich young ruler would have truly believed the words of Jesus, he would have easily let go of his, his earthly riches. He didn't believe. He walked away with sorrow in his face because he didn't believe. Do you believe? No, don't give me the church answer. Don't give yourself the church answer. Don't give yourself the answer you've always given. Do you believe what God says? Do you believe that you have been commissioned by God himself to go into the world and preach the gospel and build disciples and baptize them and cast out demons and heal the sick? Do you believe that? then give up the one thing. Do you? Second Corinthians says, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. This means... That I'll take a step before I see what I'm stepping into. This means that 
I believe that I'm going to encounter God. I believe that he's here. I believe that he loves me. That means I'm going to worship not out of how I feel, but out of how I believe. I'm going to read and seek God, not out of what I feel in the moment, but what I believe I'm reading and seeking. I'm going to surrender my whole life, my career, my dreams, my vision, not, not out of what I feel in the moment, not how it may seem to me right now, but I'm surrendering because I believe. And so because I believe, I'm going to walk in that belief. I'm going to take a step, no matter what it looks like, no matter what I feel like, no matter what he says, no matter what she says, no matter if it hurts, no matter if it feels good, no matter if I feel God, no matter if I don't, no matter if I'm crying, no matter if I'm laughing, no matter if I'm, if I'm angry, if I'm mad, if I'm confused, if I'm worried, it does not matter because I believe in what God says. So I'm going to walk in that faith. We're too passive. Like even this, some of you guys are like, oh, he's going too long. We're so used to just church. And we get used to it because we're not, we're not fully surrendered. At Amplify Conference, God's spirit fell in such a heavy way. And it's because we had a room full of people who were surrendered to God. If you want God to really work in your life, then you need to really surrender. Everything. 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 It is not a, a half in, half out. It's not a, well, I'm still going to hold on to this. I'm still going to hold on to that. It's all or nothing. There is no in between. Jesus says, you're either with me or you're against me. There is nothing in between. There is no middle ground. You're either all in for God or not. In fact, if you try to get in the middle, the Bible says... That, that God spoke to a church and says, listen, because you're lukewarm, you're, either, you're neither hot nor you're cold. I don't, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Lukewarm people disgust God. What do you desire? Do you desire God or do you just inquire about him? Are you just curious or do you really desire him? Because I'll tell you this, the moment, the moment that you come to a place of truly desiring God, everything changes. When you finally connect with God, he destroys your dreams. He breaks down your identity because he wants to give you better dreams. And he wants to build you to the person he's called you to be. Not who you've created. And not who society has created. But who he intended to be. So we say yes. Before. We receive. The answer. What a crazy. Crazy thought. Now this is, this is the best part. And now, now I'm closing. I literally have this much left. I, f I really feel that God is working in your hearts tonight. The best part about this, the, so the, 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 the young ruler walks away. And Peter, after Jesus said, listen, if people, people that rely on riches... They can't inherit God. They're never going to follow God because they rely on earthly things. 
So Peter says this, said, Behold, we left our homes and followed you. Peter's saying, God, we did that. I, we left everything. They had nothing left. They were just walking with Jesus for three and a half years or so. So Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times as much at this time and in the age to come eternal life. Pastor William McDowell pointed something just, just so good out of the scripture. He said that the young man walked away before he could hear the provision of God. How often do we miss the miracle working power of God because we walk away with the one thing? Thanks for listening to this week's message from The Cornerstone. If you want to follow us online, connect with us on Instagram at the underscore cornerstone. 